Welcome back to the Fangirl Forum. I'm your host, Meredith Loftus, aka your friendly neighborhood fangirl. Dearest listener, did you miss me? The highly anticipated season two of Bridgerton is finally here. Adapted from The Viscount Who Loved Me by Julia Quinn, this season focuses on Anthony Bridgerton and his search for his new Viscountess. And after waiting since December 2020, the question remains now, was it worth the wait? We're going to get into that and so much more. As always, I am not alone, and I am joined by the Tons Elite. Seriously, they are the best of the best. First up, returning to the Fangirl Forum from Marvelous Geeks and Lady Geek Society, the Lady Goose herself, Miss Kisani Sophia. Hello. And also returning to the Fangirl Forum, Fangirlicious HBIC, the formidable Lady Lizzie. Hello. Hello. It is so lovely to have both of you here. And I do want to shout out our original third panelist who couldn't make it tonight, comic book resources, Shelby Elfers. If you're listening, please know that we love you. We miss you. We wish you were here, but I hope that you enjoy our conversation nonetheless. Okay. Honestly, I feel like it's all been leading to this, you know, uh, since Bridgerton dropped in 2020. Geese, I had you on as my guest and you convinced me to read The Viscount Loved Me. From there, I've read most of the Bridgerton books and I know this is your favorite Bridgerton book. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lizzie, this is also your favorite Bridgerton book too. It is. So needless to say, the expectations for this new season were sky high. And I think there are no better people to talk to you about this new season than the two of you as fans of this book and as just two well-respected people within the Bridgerton fandom. So now the moment we have been waiting for, we can finally verbalize this on the record. Ladies, what are your overall thoughts and feelings about this season? Lizzie, let's start with you. I want to, like, since this is a big, we're starting the, the podcast, and I just want to, I, I don't think this is the book. I think this is a loose, very loose, it's not even a loose adaptation. It's inspired by the book, okay? Inspired by the book come these characters with the same name, and the characters it's a little bit like fanfic where the characters have the same personalities, but you put them in very different situations and then you play around. It's an AU, same personalities, different setting. And I think that might've been okay if I had not been expecting something else. Like perhaps if I hadn't read the book, I could have come into this and been like, eh, there's still, I think there are still some things I wouldn't have liked. And my guideline on that is my friend Lyra, who has not read the books and had some of the same issues I did. But in general, I think I would have enjoyed it more without the expectations. The ex- expectations hurt season two, but also the writing hurt season two. I mean, it's disjointed. A lot of it doesn't make sense. Even when the characters work, they work for a moment and then the next moment they don't work. And it's just, I was disappointed. And I'm, I'm sad to say it. I really wanted to say something different. But I was disappointed overall. I think the first three episodes were really strong. And the last two were as strong as they could be, considering episodes four, five, and six exist. 
But in general, I have no real, and I've rewatched it a couple of times to write about it, but I have no real desire to rewatch it for pleasure. Geese, what about you? I mean, literally, she said everything that I think, but it's just, the thing is, if this was an adaptation of something like Jane Austen, that we have so much of, that it's okay if you have a really lengthy version of Emma, for example, that 2009 BBC version released, and then the more comical one that Autumn Day Wild released in 2020. They're two very different forms of storytelling, and they're both great, even though a lot of people don't like the 2020 version, but I love it. That's not the case with this, because this is the first adaptation. Not to mention the fact that it's not an unpopular opinion to say that the first book is one of the weakest, if not the weakest book in the entire series. And the fact that season one is so good, it still has flaws. They're flaws that you can ignore pretty much and still enjoy the season, enjoy the storytelling, enjoy the love story and the setup of what it does for most characters. That that's essentially where my hopes came from. I was like, well, they made me love see like the first book. There, there's no way they don't. They, they get it. They get what the fans want. They get what the heart of these stories are. But this is not the heart of the Viscount who loves me. Loved me. Maybe it is the Viscount who loves me. But you know, it's just it's it's messy. Unfortunately, it's all about a plot instead of the characters. And I never ever prefer plot over characters I'd rather have plenty of quiet moments that people think are boring than plot that's just go 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 and that's what this essentially is it's just let's entertain let's make it more dramatic somehow Bridgerton became about the queen and Lady Whistledown rivalry than the love stories mm-hmm. so to say that I am satisfied would be a lie yeah, it, it pains me as I try to be an optimist about a lot of what I cover here on Fangirl Forum after reading, you know, The Viscount Who Loved Me and really falling for these characters that were introduced in season one and the hope of what could bring of season two. It left me so disappointed. There are definitely standout moments that I can enjoy and pick separate from of this season but if you're talking about this love story that I'm supposed to buy into it leaves me exhausted and lacking as opposed to feeling excited over the little details that we get and I do agree with what she said Kisini that I think the the shift of the focus being more on now that we know who Lady Whistledown is and this rivalry with the Queen, it kind of took away from caring about this love story between Kate and Anthony and even Edwina as well, you know, and her role to play in this story. And I think, so I've watched the season now twice and there are definitely things that I can appreciate about this season, but By the time you get like halfway through the season, it does feel like a chore to watch the show. And it should be a joy that you're trying to like, that you want to fall in love with these characters as they're realizing that they're falling in love and you don't get that kind of satisfaction at the end of it. So 
Yeah, I, I hate being able to say that out loud, but like, I also need to say it out loud to, you know, release it from me. So I'm not holding all of this tension anymore of this is fine. No, it's not. <laughs> like, I can't believe these are words that I'm speaking about Bridgerton. Yeah. Yeah. It, just, it feels like a weird fever dream. So we have some, we have some negative feelings about this season, but you know, ever the optimist, I do want to ask you, are there particular highlights that you found out of this season in particular? Jess, I'm going to go ahead and issue this spoiler warning because I don't know how deep we're going to get into this, but from here on out, if you have not watched Bridgerton season two, you really owe it to yourself to watch it, to not just take our word for it, form your own opinion, but for the sake of, you know, what I do here on Fangirl Forum. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. Oh my gosh, please watch Bridgerton season two. Spoilers, spoilers. Seriously, you will be spoiled from here on out. So sorry, but also not sorry. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. We are now covered. What were some highlights for this season from you? Gisini, let's start with you. Okay, it's one scene in specific, and you got to witness me watching this in person. So it is in episode seven when he calls out to Hyacinth to dance. Like that is just, Anthony and Hyacinth are my babies. I love them with everything in me. And I have, I feel like I'm the queen champion of wanting Hyacinth to actually play in Palma, like kept saying it since introduced in the first season. We didn't get that, but it's okay. Like this scene is all I wanted to see him acknowledge his baby sister like this, to see her eyes sparkle in excitement. Like that is the one scene that brought me so much joy that that night, as I was like in bed, I just tears streaming down my face from excitement. Like that is, it made my heart so happy that the show probably has like three extra number scores just for that scene alone. So, and the one with Gregory, but the highest synth one really joy, pure joy. Lizzie, what about you? I, well, I have to agree with that because those were two of the best scenes of the season, but I will also say Daphne Bridgerton, who are you and why do I love you? Like, I do not understand how season two came and I was like, yes, Daphne, yes, yes. And then by episode six, I was like, whatever she says, that's just the way it is. And in a way, I am so glad that she got to shine without Simon. Not that I wouldn't have liked to see Simon because, I mean, continuity and we are fans of romance and we do like our proms. But I I am so glad she got to, to shine because I heard a lot of people saying that she was only interested because Simon was around. And she came in season two and said, Simon? I can tell Anthony a thing or two without him. And then there's that scene in episode six and episode six is my least favorite episode of TV I have seen in general, not like of Bridgerton, like of TV and just like, and, but then she has a scene in episode six where she's telling it to Anthony like it is. And I actually kind of want to go rewatch just that scene just because it is savage. Daffy really like stepped up and just every time she was on screen I was like oh thank god we're saved she she was well I mean 
Violet too. Like Violet had some really good moments. I think the Bridgerton family had some really good mm-hmm. moments that they did not give the charm affair. They yeah. give the, the Bridgerton family some really good moments in different ways. Like Daphne was the one challenging Anthony in a way that Benedict maybe couldn't. For whatever reasons, we can talk about that when we talk about Benedict. I really thought a lot about this. Why is Daphne playing this role instead of Benedict, who is closer to him and maybe should be? And I think Benedict buys more into what Anthony's selling as to what he is than Daphne. And also Daphne just has her own love story now. She's like, mm-hmm, I see through I you. how this works. I see through you. But I think the Bridgerton family in general was very good. The, the family moments were really good. I wish the Sharma family had gotten the good moments that the Bridgertons got. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah, I think the highlights of the season for me were definitely surrounding like the Bridgerton family as a whole. I really enjoyed Palmel. I enjoyed the Bridgerton Sharma private dance that unfolded. That was like pure joy. And I really loved, you know, Anthony's scene with Gregory, uh, talking with him about Edmund, his father. All of that was just so great. And yes, I echo your sentiments, Lizzie. Every time Daphne showed up, she truly was the duchess of the scene and was calling it like it is. And after going through just the frustration of dealing with Anthony in season one, with her trying to make sense of being out in society to now being like, I am married. I have already gone through this. I know exactly what's happening right now. Like there were no misses with her scenes. But I loved, I just love seeing this family together. And I also wish the Sharmas had that same type of treatment, considering how close they are with each other. And uh, and I think some moments that they had towards the end of the season, which were great, they didn't mean as much because we didn't see that happen throughout the season. We didn't have these like special moments, just them being, you know, And honestly, like I walked away feeling like I really didn't know the Sharmas the way that like I've grown to love the Bridgertons even more than I did before, particularly with, you know, the things that we got out of them. And just anytime they're in a room together, like sniffing at each other, it's always like delightful. So I want to be very broad with this. And I think you both touched on this a little bit in your overall thoughts and feelings. I want to know broader strokes here. Like what about this season really stuck out to you that you did not like, Lizzie? I think the worst part, well, I mean, I I think then the point of the season, the, the thing that didn't work was plot over characters. But I think the thing that worked the least was Edwina Sharp. And it's not even the fault of the character as much as it is the fault of the writing for the character. But she was the number one thing that didn't work. And then, of course, the love triangle between sisters who thought that was a good idea. But number one victim of the love triangle between sisters was Edwina. Like, Kate still looked good to us as viewers from her side of the triangle. And the only one who was looking worse and worse and worse first because you can be like okay she's a naive girl then there comes a point where you're like are you really not seeing it and then you saw it as you were standing at the altar 
who does that? Like that point, I was almost like, even if you saw it, like go through it. I don't, it's just nothing about it makes sense to me. And that's a writing problem that ends up reflecting on the character. So Edwina didn't work. And since she didn't work, the love triangle, well, it was never going to work, but it, it all the weight of it not working fell on her. And then the family dynamics did not work because she wasn't working. Like at no point did I feel like you feel in the book with her where you're like, oh, she's like so precious. Like here I was like, a last uh, second. Yeah, she was a plot device. He's and I have talked about this a lot. She was a plot device and not even a good one. Like she didn't even move the plot where it had to go. She was a bad plot device. And then when you see that moment where like the everything ends and everything is okay and you get a moment of her at like near the end, you're like, okay, but who are you? Because I, I don't know who you are. Like I, eight episodes of you, eight like almost an hour episodes and I don't know who you are. She also doesn't know who she is. And right. that's the problem. It's like, if this whole thing was supposed to be a self-discovery of sorts for the Sharma family, why have it in a love triangle when you could have gone to a more broader story of them individually finding themselves? Like Edwina finds herself in the books through her books and her reading and the fact that she ends up in a library at Aubrey Hall more times than she's outside with like Anthony. But this Edwina was just doughy eyed. Every time she would say something like, I want to be his Viscountess. I'm not a little girl anymore. I was like, that's, that's, that's exactly what a little girl would say. That's, you know, that somebody is young when they're just like, being a wife and a mother is going to be so easy. And you're like, mm. There's a lot to learn here. And part of this also has to do with the fact that like, okay, I can completely understand how they're putting mothers in this position to show how bad grief is. Because a lot of times I feel like when we see the husband and the father die, the mother is kind of forced to be strong and they're not allowed to feel. So I am glad that they allowed both Violet and Mary to kind of succumb to grief and to really feel it. But to then have Mary completely like kind of just disappear and stand back as Kate mothers the entire time. That feels clunky, not to mention the fact that we have no idea when their father died. I kept trying to watch it to like figure out when the timeline is. We don't know how old Kate was when her mother died. Like maybe these little details could have helped us. Was it a year ago? Was it 10 years ago? Like why the things that they needed to elaborate on in order for the plot to work in order for the picture to get bigger they did not and then we spend way too much time with cousin jack who i just i do not care not not even a tiny bit oh the many things i plan to say about that particular storyline which is one of the things uh, the things i enjoyed the least about this season I echo what both of you say. I feel like I walked away from this season not really knowing who Kate and Edwina were. And at the end of the season, Edwina was like telling Kate, like, you're bold, you're feeling, you're funny. And I'm like, I feel like I'm being told this and I should have been shown this, you know, I should have been seeing this along the way and then her statements being really confirmed by that fact and even the same with Edwina you know like she is very young and she's like I don't really know myself I'm like yeah Edwina I don't really know you either you seem to be a lot of fun and bold at the end but like where was this where where do you fit into what they were telling and 
At times I felt frustrated by Edwina. At other times I felt sympathetic towards her because like she really was a victim in a lot of this too because of bad writing and really bad pacing, honestly, the what they chose to keep and what they chose to focus on as opposed to just character beats. And then what they cut away from with this storyline is this like thing with the Featheringtons and Cousin Jack. And it just like undercuts everything that we just watched. What was the purpose of this? And you feel less inclined to care about these characters. And it just, I keep trying to find, because I want to give writers like credit, you know, because there's a lot of expectation going into writing is a second season of a very popular show. You want to keep people on your toes. You want to keep book readers like guessing as well. But the way by which they did that, I just think they, they just dropped the ball completely, you know? The thing is, if they wanted to keep even book readers on their toes and have us like, like kind of guessing what they're going to do, have Edwina see what's going to happen is bring in episode eight instead of six. Like six is just completely useless. If they brought in the accident right as Kate is writing in to tell Anthony that he must marry her, that like, there's no way, because I've thought about this as well. Like we technically don't have the words for what Anthony would do if the bee hadn't stung in the book. But I always like to think that like, this is a romance. It's going to come around somehow. He's going to make the choice somehow. And in this, we get him making that choice at the end where he's like, I am way too infatuated with this woman. There is no way I can marry her sister and desire her at the same time. This is wrong. This is not like the man my father raised me to be, period. And he makes that decision at the end of five that like, I'm going to speak to her. We'll call this off. He'll go sue someone else. It's not the end of the world. That could have been his choice to back off and back off honorably. If they had brought in the accident right there, had... Edwina watched the way he's fussing over her and that way she that conversation where she's like you know I'll know when he looks at me but he never looks at me she could have literally seen the way he looks at Kate and bam wakes up right there none of it matters like there there could have been a way to clean it up better but this way it's just it just feels like let's push this as far as we can and make it more dramatic and like who thought pitting two sisters against each other was going to be a good idea everything else aside they are sisters like if this was sienna i would be significantly less upset but sisters it's just how why (laughs) i don't get it and you know what it feels to me it feels to me like they watch a great deal of like 80s and 90s telenovelas and thought, mm, this is what we should do. Because I felt to me like I was watching not even like, because even telenovelas have gotten like more sophisticated. But like back in the day when it was like, throw everything there to see how you can create a drama. And everyone is always someone's half brother. And then they're not because the dad is like, that. that's basically what I felt watching Bridgerton season two. It feels to me like they forgot what genre they were writing for. This is not a romance, okay? I watched season two. This is a drama, regular drama. It's not an adaptation of a romance book. And that's not what I signed up for. So as a viewer, you're just 
tricking me with the name Bridgerton and promising something that you are not delivering. And that that's part of, I guess, what feels to me so bad about the season. Like, I feel like they did not respect that viewers wanted the genre adapted. And then they were like, we are going to make it more interesting. No, no, you think I have all the romance novels I have there because I want them to be more interesting? You think I want you to shock me? No, the, the whole point of romance, like in, in, in and of itself, the genre, sells itself by saying, hey, you're going to get a happy ending here, no matter what. Uh, but the genre doesn't just do that. It has some other beats. It's not like drama and then last page, then you get, and then that, that's part of what, even with, in season one, it felt we got uh, Simon and Daphne. We got to see them together. And here I was like, I was counting the seconds in episode eight. And I was like, how many minutes do I have left? Like, can I at least get one scene of them together? One? <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote an article about the love scenes. And I had to cut down Anthony and Steve's love scene. I had to cut it from four, maybe five, down to three. Whereas Kate and Anthony just have one and a half. One and a half. I don't even consider that one a love, the last one a love scene. It, it, it is a love scene, but it's not as lengthy. It's, it's no wild strings montage. Like, and I just, uh, uh, hello? They yeah. are the main couple. <laughs> like, also, can we talk about the fact that, like, for how steamy and sexy season one was, they, like, took all of the sex scenes out of season two, even though they were teasing that it was going to be, they were upping the ante. Where I'm was confused. that? Like, <laughs> yes, heavy breathing, really close to each other. That intimacy is fantastic. I always love scenes like that. But I was, when they said it's more explicit and more steamy, I was like, what do they do? Like, what do Anthony's dreams look like? Like, what what's going to happen? We're on episode six, and I'm just like, no one's banged. Like, they Benedict just had five seconds over there, but that was it. Well, I mean, Benedict did. Benedict got it, and I was like, good for you, boo-boo. Good for you. I'm so proud of you. He was, he was the first one to get a love scene yeah. this season. He was, I was like, oh, is this season two or three? Wait, what? No. Honestly, I was like... If anybody's gonna have sex, I'm so glad Benedict's having it right now. Like I know his Benedict season's coming up. Living his best life. But yeah, like if your main couple, Lizzie, what you just said is so true. Like we spent time with Daphne and Simon. They properly paced out five episodes where they were building, and not even just like together like their romance but individually too we got to know them over five episodes so by the time that they had their first night of marital bliss we were excited for it we were like anticipating it whereas by the time we got to Kate and Anthony and they got their happily ever after epilogue it was like relief of oh my gosh we're finally at the end wasn't it a little bit like relief? Like, oh, at least they gave like for a moment there. Even though this is a romance, I was like, are we gonna get a happy ending? Like that was 
that's how bad it got for me that I started doubting if we were going to get a happy ending. For a moment there, I was like, are they just going to leave us on a cliffhanger and just finish up their story in season three? Because the pacing felt so off for a moment there. I was like, and we discussed this after episode six. We were like, how do you fix this in two episodes? And I mean, they sort of did, but did they do a great job? No, they did the best job they could considering how badly paced four, five, and six were. Like six is, like he said it earlier, but six is useless. There's very little to, to be salvaged there. Like even the conversation with Daphne and Anthony that I like so much, is basically a repeat of what they said, like more savage, but basically a repeat of other conversations. You didn't need it. You didn't need anything. And then I hate storylines that sort of like, I hate when the fix is like, oh, the, the queen said, two words, and then it's fixed. I was like, but why didn't the queen say two words five episodes ago? Why are we here? Like, that is the silliest way of fixing it. At that point, I almost would have taken it being Lady Whistledown, because at least it would have been different. I was like, have Lady Whistledown write a column and, like, change people's minds. I would have rather that have been the case. And I think the reason it's not the case is because they're saving it for season three. At one point, the queen says something like, what is happening to my wedding? And I'm like, there we go, right there. It's your wedding. It's not the wedding that should be happening. It's your extravagant wedding, like you're doing. And the thing is, I really do love that scene of the king and the queen. Like it, the second time I watched it, I was really paying attention. It broke my heart. But again, she's getting her own spinoff, you know? So why is it necessary to have this really strong, beautiful moment in the middle of this episode that's just so disjointed, you're like, if I was a doctor, I wouldn't even know which bone to start with to like fix it all. I don't know. And I, I feel like we need to kind of get into Benedict here, but it's like with Kate and Anthony's story in the book, they have all of these like quiet little intimate moments in their marriage of like the ridiculous tea scene or like laying in bed with the um, thunder and all of these like ditching balls to hang out together. They have these moments, whereas Benedict and Sophie really have so many split moments that make their relationship so angsty in the right way because they're not going behind anybody's back. Like, they're not betraying anybody. Sophie is only betraying herself. Benedict right. is betraying Sophie in another world. Like, it, Julia did something really interesting with this, and this story basically steals that from them by adding in the forbidden romance and having them get together smack dab in the end. Like... And then what are they going to do with season three? They can't steal from season four because we already know Colin. Like, are you going to, you can't steal from six, from five or six either. They're too set in what they are. Are you going to steal? I don't know. It's, I've been really worried about season three yeah. after watching season two. Because I was like, but now what do you do? And I've been worried about season three since before Kate was cast. Because I, no, probably since Kate was cast. Because when she was cast, I was like, okay. They're, they're trying to cast diverse women. I'm really happy. You know what's next? A Latina. Yeah, for season three. <laughs> That's such a bad look. And then right I was savior. like, oh, right savior. And then I said, oh, I really hope they don't. And then before season two came out, I thought, well, maybe they get it. And now I'm sure they don't. And the Latina's coming in two months. So, I mean, Sophie's already been cast. We live in a world for where sure. Sophie yeah. Beckett is already like, out there in the world and we're just waiting on bated breath we all agree on the fact that what they did with Kate 
Anthony and Edwina was just a disservice to all of the characters, really, in very different ways. And I wanted to know, like, was there anything redeeming about their character arcs during this season for you? If I pretend like six doesn't exist, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Like, it's hard. It's very, very hard to unhear half-sister and, mm-hmm. how, like, I, how dare you make me the cruel one? Like, I am, you are, she, she just said it in the episode seven, like, I am more kind-hearted than, how do you unhear that? And, like, yes, you know, that scene between them dancing at the ball is adorable, and I loved every minute of it, but I was like, but that, like, can we at least get, like, some sort of, like, Kate constantly apologizes and literally says, I will apologize for the rest of my life. But still, like, the bitter aftertaste is there of your sister walked down the aisle with that man. And we still don't even see their wedding. We don't see anything. The only time we see Kate in a wedding dress is in Anthony's, like, fantasy vision, which is just wrong. How can Edwina get over that? You know what I mean? Like, there's a, there's a part of me, I pity her as well, because how? Okay, she's going to meet the love of her life one day, but she's like, how do you laugh at that? You know, you both have sisters. How do you, like, how do you laugh at that? No, you don't. I, I, I don't, that, that's part of the problem. Like, and I can understand Edwina being angry. And part of it is that in six, she's angry at herself. Okay, she's angry at herself that she didn't see it before. And she's lashing out. But like the thing, Somewhere around episode three or something or four, when I saw where everything was going, I turned to Lara, who was next to me, who was watching with me, and I said, if she says the word half-sister, I am done. And when she did it on six, Lara turned to me, and she was like, how do you know? And I was like, that was the worst thing I could think of them doing it, and they did it. So how do you come back from that? Like, And I, when we get the scene with them when they're talking, and near the end, and then Kate is apologizing again. I understand that Kate needs to apologize, but there's never any kind of acknowledgement from the show or them that Edwina said or did anything that was bad. Everything is forgiven of what she said because Kate was in the wrong. And then there's no acknowledgement of the fact of, even though the show is setting up a duty versus what they really want thing, there's no acknowledgement from Edwina that Kate wasn't doing this to hurt her, that she was actually falling on the sword for Edwina over and over and over again and hurting herself while falling on the sword for her sister. So instead of like, you heard me and then you heard me and I know she heard you, but like the relationship just feels so unequal. And then that's when, when you ask about character arcs, I actually think Anthony got the better deal out of those three. Like the two women got Kate, who was better than Edwina, doesn't really get to be developed as much in a way where you're like, oh, I get it. While Anthony gets his family around him, calling him out, Violet in very good moments, the flashbacks, and you're mad at him, but you are sort of, it's much more clear why he's making the decisions he's making. And since it's so much clearer, it's harder for you to just stay mad at him kiss I mean you can see you're seeing the like when you're mad and then you see the flashback you're like 
fine, Anthony, like, fine, I get it. You don't get that with Kate and you absolutely do not get that with Edwina. And then I was telling Lyra, I think, I don't think you use the word half-sister if you never thought about it before. Why has she thought about it before? Because that just doesn't come to you, okay? It's not a thought that you pull out of nowhere. It's like, oh, I'm gonna call, like, I know it's something that she did specifically to her Kate, but where did it come from? Like, if she's never thought of Kate as her half-sister before, that thought wouldn't have been there to pull from, to throw it at her. And that's just what bothers me, like, to of the drama, you just created an underlying problem that you can't fix in the three-minute scene that they get at the end, and then a nice dance at the ball. And then you sort of fix Anthony and Kate. You sort of do, because you give them a good moment talking to each other, where Anthony talks and Kate doesn't really talk that much, which is part of the problem of the entire season, too, with the romance. Anthony gets to talk, and he gets to get feelings out loud, and Kate is there, reflecting his feelings and you're supposed to understand that she's feeling the same and that the situations are the same but she's not speaking about it. you just gotta believe that she's feel the same way as him but they never fix kate and edwina and in fact they do a better job at fixing kate and mary which why did they even ruin kate and mary in the first place like mary has a moment in episode six where i'm like what is wrong with you like i don't get you and then from six to seven Mary's a different person. I was like, where were you last episode? What happened? Oh, God. Yeah. I agree with you, Lizzie. Like, I think Anthony, he gets out of this a bit more cleaner than Edwina and Kate do because we get these flashbacks. We get these moments with his family. We get these moments by himself. And we also had season one. We saw him when he was like in the height of his like rake lifestyle and then for him to like completely give it up and to, you know, look for a wife. We have so much extra characterization that's going into what he's focusing on on season two, which by the way, I just want to say this. If you want to play a drinking game with Bridgerton, just drink every time Anthony Bridgerton says duty and you will get blackout drunk real fast. It's not even funny. They make that his like only personality trait. And at some point, like you get to see these great moments between him and Violet. It ends up being earned. But then when you like take away everything he was in season one and you just strip it down to it's just about this duty. It's just about this duty. I'm like, who are you? Like, there's just, it just, yeah, it feels off. But there are good moments between them when they are act, when Kate and Anthony are actually like sniffing at each other. I'm like, yes, this is the fire. This is the thing that I'm waiting for. But it always gets interrupted or cut short, or it's just undercut by whatever is edited next afterwards. And it's like, we need moments of vulnerability between these two like Anthony is vulnerable with her like he has a panic attack and she's the one calming him down but she is not having those moments of vulnerability it's like we're expected to do homework to know that she does feel insecure that she does have these fears but it's just not communicated when you watch it and it's such a disservice to her that at one point she does feel like the villain and Kate's not supposed to be the villain she's supposed to be the hero here and Edwina gets the short end of the stick but then Edwina yeah like both of you said earlier Edwina is basically a plot device 
for the sake of, I just want to be his Viscountess. Like, sweet summer child, no, you are, you're, this is your first time out. You don't really know what you want. He doesn't know him either. Like, and then I, I wish they put a poll from that thread because when she's having a talk with Daphne, I think in three, and she's describing Anthony and Daphne's like, who are you talking about? Because that is not my brother. That is exactly what they had to pull from. For Edwina to sort of realize, look, I'm in love or I have feelings. This is an ideal that I created for myself. This is not the person who he is. But they never really go there. When Anthony and Edwina have their moment where the, they talk about whether they're going to get married or not, he, he just goes and says, he talks about duty again, his favorite word. And he says, we're both doing what we have to do. And then it, it's like she's finally realizing that he's settling for her. And I, I understand that hurts. Just, I mean, but, but she's also been willfully blind. Like she is saying, you kept this from me. Anthony has never in his entire life lied about what he wanted. He said duty 57 million times. You just didn't believe him when he was telling you that he wanted a wife that suited, not a wife he loved. And then, yes, Kate is in a way keeping things from Edwina, but she's mostly keeping things from herself. She's not trying to fool her sister. She's trying to fool herself into believing that she has no feelings and that ends up extending to Edwina, obviously. But Edwina and Mary and like everyone is also like complicit in, in, in making Anthony to be this person. Because I mean, like, I almost wish like, I, I know they give us the scene with the B and then the scene with Daphne, just so we would be like, is this where they're going to be forced to marry? And then pull the rug from under us. But it was just cruel because it also makes the other care, like everyone except Edwina knows what's going on. Everyone. And you're like, in that way, I just feel she's a victim of the bad writing. Like, sweet summer child. Like, you are the only one. And then I, I kept thinking when we got to that scene when Ad, she realizes, I keep thinking, would I have run away? Like at that point, I might have just gone through with it. I was already standing there. We were already about to see our bow. Like, like I don't know. Why did they need to take it that far? That dinner should have been proof for her that her sister hides stuff from her. And granted, you know, Kate does that from the kindness of her heart. She doesn't do it with ill intentions. But after the dinner, like, you know, you expect her to say like, to get upset about that but no it's the way he's like he vouched for us or whatever like I love him I and I was just like oh no like no you don't like yes he's a he's a good person but like it's you know what would have worked I I also try to revisit the, the thing in my mind and I thought at for a point you know what would have worked it would have worked if at that point in five we would have learned that Edwina always knew about the Sheffields and that's why she wanted to marry Anthony that if she already knew she was going to marry whoever she had to marry because that's what she needed to do and then you would have turned the duty thing around and been you, you were in the weird love triangle and it would have been nice to realize that she also didn't have feelings. She just thought she was doing her duty. And I think that would have been a better way to bring the duty theme 
forward and then ended in five without six existing in the walk down the altar and then maybe one more episode and six is the longest episode it is like it never ends so if maybe we had six seven and eight to sort of build kate and anthony back up that would have worked and it would have made edwina so much better because then you would have been like oh, all of the things she said she was playing the role she thought she had to play and she could have had the same arc about not knowing herself and where it's same arc just a better way of building toward that point and no one would have ended up being like, oh, we don't like Edwina. I I don't like Edwina in season two, but I am afraid of the hate uh, the character is going to get because that's not the character from the books. That's not the character I love. Mm-hmm. Their sisterhood is glossed over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like the first episode, they were like, this season, nothing's going to happen to us. And then literally from that moment on, like they're kind of at odds with each other this whole time. We don't really see this like sisterhood really there. And then Edwina says at the end, like, I don't really know you as a person and I don't really know myself. And I'm like, yeah, and that's a problem. You should not that, you know, self-discovery isn't a great character arc. Like I'm glad Colin this season was like, I really needed to get in touch with myself. I'm like, good for you. You should be doing that. But like, there are better ways to go about expressing that that doesn't demean the character in the process either. You know what was a better story about sisterhood than Kate and Edwina? Penelope and Eloise. And I, it's not that I love what they did, but that was very earned. like earned. Like they built it up and it was painful, but it felt earned and it feels we know it's a thing that's going to continue. And the characters didn't have to be dumbed down to get to where they got. The characters were the characters, and then we understand them, even if we don't agree with the decisions they made. Their friendship is better than Kate and Edwina's sisterhood. And that is really, really not what the show needed to do. And not that I don't love them, I do, but that's not what the show needed to do. There's also something to be said about how they made Edwina look so much younger physically. Like her hairstyle compared to Kate's hairstyle, even compared to Eloise's hairstyle, who's also debuting at the same time. They're the same age. At at least that's what we're supposed to assume. But they made Edwina look so much younger, which made it that much more uncomfortable. Every time Anthony was around her, I was like, do not go like 10 feet it was like oh. Francesca. Wasn't she yeah. styled the same way as Francesca, who was younger? And like, she she why? really felt to me like, yeah, like she was supposed to be 15. And I was like, this is awkward. Like, please stop. Don't go near her. At one point, I I, I said it to you, Lizzie. I was like, if they kiss, I, I I can't do this. Like I can't, I can't do that. So thank God that didn't happen because I like, oh, that would be so uncomfortable just thinking about it. But it's like. Why Why was that choice made? We could already see that they're not fit to be together. Why did they make this choice that just makes it worse and adds on to this pile that like you can't keep stripping from because it just keeps getting messier? I I don't know. And the thing with Kate, when we go up that scene in episode six, when she's like hunched over and you have that really beautiful shot of her in the mirror, I was like, so they can film something with her on the ground. Why couldn't we get the thunder and lightning scene, which is one of the most important scenes to get to know Kate? If that's all they showed about Kate is her fear and the severity of her grief, it would have been enough. 
But even that they kind of just glossed over. They were like, here she is reading because she's uncomfortable. I was like, is she afraid? Is she afraid? And I kept thinking, is there going to be a worse storm? Is this just a mild version? Is she afraid? I need to know. Like, that is one of the most important character arcs. And Simone is so good at emoting that you literally could have seen it all, even if she said nothing. But her standing position already said that she's not that distraught. When you think about it, we got Simon flashbacks. Like Simon got in season one what Kate did not get in season two. So it's not like they couldn't do it because Anthony was a main character because Simon got it in season one. And then Anthony, again, didn't need, like we understand Anthony, but he didn't need as much for us to understand him because season one. So it's so much easier. Also is that, I mean, all of the Bridgertons get moments. I don't even begrudge them all of that. I begrudge them the time we spent on costing Jack and the Featheringtons because all of that time I would have taken and turned it into Kate and Anthony moments. And then maybe we would have had a decent season when I did not have to see Portia Featherington ever again. So I think we can all agree here that one of the major downsides of the season outside of their treatment of Kate, Anthony, Edwina, this like love triangle gone wrong was the Featheringtons and Cousin Jack and all that went wrong in this situation. Cousin Jack comes into town to take over the family and then he leaves exactly the same way. And we went through basically eight episodes where none of it actually mattered. And I think that's the problem I have with it the most because it literally added nothing of substance to this season. And you find yourself frustrated, like, why is Portia messing with this? Why are they now scheming together? Why is she now backstabbed? It just made no sense to me whatsoever. Why did she almost kiss him? Why Why did I have to say that? And then she was like, I only care about my three daughters. I'm like, since when? I did appreciate that scene. I did appreciate that scene only because I was like, maybe this could be her moment. And Polly Walker was just so good when she's like, I am a mother. I was like, oh, okay. So that is the only thing that I, I can appreciate from like an outside objective point of view. I, why did they subject us to their lips? No, I, I refuse. But look, I think they got the wrong message from season one. They saw that we love Lady Whistledown and they saw that we love Penelope and they thought, oh, they want more from the feathering tones. No, 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 no. That was the wrong message you got from that. We did not want more from the rest. In fact, we would have even been fine if we had less from Penelope if that meant we had more from Kate and Anthony in their season. Because Penelope's going to get her season, okay? And we know that. But, like, I was fine with everything Penelope because when it had to do with LOEs and it had to do with Lady Whistledown, that was fine. Everything that had to do with Cousin Jack and Portia and, like, the fact that there are only three Featherington daughters and then I only like one and then she doesn't exist. And, like... I can't I just I don't even have more words for it because I wrote uh all my reviews and literally made it a point to never dedicate a section to them because I did not care enough and there was nothing to analyze there nothing 
nothing. They get aligned at that. Nothing. At the further thought section. Right, online. exactly. It's, we wanted the Penelope, the whistle down that, w- that knew exactly what to write about Kate and Anthony, the one who saw everything. And the thing is, if they want to give her more villain arc to have her kind of redeem herself, I have a feeling if they took it this far, they need something big for Eloise to forgive her, for Colin to forgive her, for everyone to forgive her. So I'm thinking that has to do with Benedict somehow. Like her saving Sophie in a way, the reputation, that has to be her redemption. But why? Why? Like it it wasn't necessary. And as much I, I liked the Theo and Eloise arc as well. Like you kind of understood there that Eloise, it's not that she hates people and men and she does like she doesn't want to meet anyone, but it's that she doesn't like this custom. She doesn't like how it happens and that she's willing to form friendships outside of her family, outside of Penelope. I like that, but again, why? I didn't really need to see it overshadow Kate and Anthony's story. And then there's no way of really getting attached when they're doing these things. I was like, oh, you Theo Sharp. Last time I checked, I only had to care about Philip in this regard, so bye. Like, I'm just like, it's it's like when they try to give me a prequel to something where the characters already died. And I'm like, but why? Why do you expect me to care if I know everyone's gonna die? No, exactly the same thing I, I felt for Theo. It's like, oh, you're cute, but you're gonna be gone soon. So moving on. I mean, I kind of appreciated it for the fact that like, you know, it shows that Eloise is, she's not immune to love or anything like that. Like she does desire that, but she wants it on her own terms. I would hope that the stuff with Theo this season is going to make her eventual meeting with Philip that much more sweeter of like, you know, she's, She's going outside the rules here and she's always been a rebellious one. And after Colin's trip to Gloucestershire to see Marina and Philip, which I was not expecting, that's going to be a whole other scenario. Like if the Bridgerton brothers show up there to beat up Philip, Colin's going to be like, oh, hey, good to see you again. Want to talk about olive trees? It's just wild to me. I appreciated it, I guess, because like Marina was such a big story arc in season one, not to completely throw that in the trash, but like there are these moments that just feel like we know the precursor for what it's heading towards. Why are we doing this? They're also changing so much that at this point from season two on, the only way I can watch the show going forward will have to be to divest myself of the idea that they are following the books because even with Marina being the way even with that storyline they're changing so much about their relationship her relationship with Philip but then you're like but how are we getting to that love story I don't know but like I have more immediate problems which is the only thing they're actually setting up in the way I think it's gonna go more or less the same is calling her Penelope everything else is like well, this is up in the air. And even Colin and Penelope, the Porsche part changes so much of the dynamics that now I'm like, is she going to just go back to not caring? Like, did she just say she was a mother for three seconds? Yeah, because the, otherwise I'm missing the best scene in that book. The oh best my- scene in that book is when Colin puts her 
in her place because she doesn't think he can marry he wants to marry Penelope. So I'm like, if you're gonna take that scene from me just to give Portia a good moment of being a good mother, I'm a riot. Well, let's talk about the fact that they took away the scene that I was mentally preparing for for season three, and they did it at the end of this season. Gisity saw me rage against this of like, they did the thing. They did the thing where Colin says out loud, I am not interested in Penelope Featherington, and they did it this season early, and I'm like, why? Like, what are they going to do now? Like, you have done this to her. I get it. Penelope is in full villain mode at this point because she doesn't have Eloise anymore. She just heard Colin say, I'm not going to date her. Even They've had so many good moments like pollen nuggets. It was great. Mm-hmm. But then when they like tore it apart at the end, it was just devastating. But it feels forced. Yes. Because we have this talk, Meredith, you and I have talked about it. It's like Colin and Penelope have such a great friendship right now like there is really such security in their friendship and there's that scene where he comes in with a cousin Jack whatever and then he says to Portia like oh I was saying things to her that like I'd be too embarrassed if anyone else heard having this closeness between them and then to hear Colin say those words it just feels like a forced inclusion from the book that wasn't necessary it doesn't work the way it did in the books because in the books Colin and Penelope do not have this closeness. They are not established as friends this early on. So when Penelope hears that, it makes sense. But now it just feels like they're like, oh, now we got to bring in that line. You know the line. Everyone talks about that line. Bring it in. It just doesn't work. And it's so cruel. Like he could have said something like, oh, no, we are just friends. That's all we'll ever be. And it would have been better. But mm-hmm. there's this cruelty to his, like, I would never dream of courting or not even in your wildest fantasies that you're like, okay, that's, that's kind of rude. You can at least say, like, we're really good friends. Like, it's very jarring because it, it, just, it just feels done for the sake of including a scene that doesn't make sense. Which is the same thing for the roses scene in episode seven where he mm-hmm. brings the roses finally and then you just see Edwina, like, toss it and it's like, we didn't need this scene now. Like, you're too late in this scene. You didn't need to bring this now. You didn't do it, just let it go. Don't do it now. It doesn't make sense now. There are certain things that they did in episode seven and episode eight that, like, it would have benefited better if they happened earlier on in the season. Like, yeah, Anthony has the gall to tell Kate that he has been haunted by her scent of Lily since their conversation at the conservatory. I'm like, you should have shown him have moments of like recognizing that scent instead of making it so obvious and only making a point to, hey, you should use the lily soap here. That totally undercuts everything. I just don't understand why they're trying to make it up here. They had a copy of the book. They had a copy of the book and they highlighted some some, uh, passages. And then they were like, these are the things that have to go in. I don't care when. We just got to get them in. And then they were like, ooh, doesn't fit here, but it fits better than anyone else. Put it here. And then it's like, and then I feel like they're going to do the same with uh, the rest of the couples. And then that now I'm like, maybe when Gregory's turn comes around, I might be able to enjoy the home because it'll have enough separation from everyone else's mess that, that the last two may get their whole season. I like, have I, so many questions about Gregory's season. 
this is Gregory's storyline. Like literally getting down the aisle is Gregory's story. Are they just going to be like, oh, season two was a little bit, you know, back then. They're not going to remember. No one will remember. Throw it in there. It was so long ago. Right. And then I, I, I hate it when shows do things like this and in show, there's no awareness from the characters that this situation has happened before. Because I bet if you do the same thing with Gregory, no one's going to be like, oh, remember when Anthony almost did this? And ha ha ha. No, I bet they're just going to be like, let's ignore. Fans will forget. The lesson I think Bridgerton uh, writers forgot is that fans never forget. Okay. You underestimated the fans. And I think it's it's not gonna be good. The, the reaction that we do, like, I, again, this is kind of cool. Grandmas can now watch the show, but the fact that we saw Anthony lounging in a bed with Sienna more times than Kate is what genuinely bothers me. Like, I didn't need them to constantly be touching, but just let them be in a bed together. Let them sit and have tea. Those little quiet moments. The only way that I could potentially forgive them destroying all of those quiet moments is if Kate and Anthony, Simone and Johnny have bigger roles in season three. Like if they are a presence in the same way that like Colin and Penelope are in this season or the Featheringtons are in this season. If they still have a presence and we get those quiet moments for them at home, maybe I'll be less angry. But if we don't, if they get like a mini five second scene where we see baby Edmund and that's it. No, that's not enough. I don't want, I don't necessarily, the, the emotional part of me doesn't necessarily want more of Edwina, but the storytelling part tells me, yeah, this woman needs more. What was the thing with the, the queen just throwing uh, the prince around? It's like, oh, I have my, like, so is, that that happening? is that a thing? Is that what's happening? That is, again, not Edwina. But hey, Edwina wanted to marry Anthony this season, so maybe, like, I really like the actor. I mean, you can bring them back for two scenes and bring like back Cormac I'm fine with that bring back Cormac or are so we just like, gonna come in like Edwina's in Prussia now right I mean I honestly because if not that's a random thing for when the queen just fixed everything with a magic wand and like the the last episode <laughs> like and then I actually really do enjoy the queen. Like I'm excited for her to spin up, but she makes no sense. And I understand that she's a queen. She doesn't necessarily have to make sense. She can do whatever. But she all of a sudden looks at Kate and Anthony and is like, mm, I like this, but why now? Like this thing has been going on for <laughs> eight episodes and you like it now? She you had no sympathy for her during her accident. She was still, she was... She was I will send her jewelry. Yeah, I'll send her jewelry. Uh, it, like, that scene of Violet, <laughs> the other, but that scene of Violet and Danbury just laughing their heads off is 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 this? It's, it's you a laugh, so you don't cry. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the writers put that in for us of being like, this is where we're at right now. We're just going to laugh because we don't know how to fix this right now. And here is what we have. And I hate to say that, but this isn't original content. If there wasn't source material, I would be very, I would be much more forgiving. And I'd be like, okay, this is your story. You're telling it the way that you see it do. I Whatever, that's, that's on you. You do you. 
but they're strong source material. You know the fans love this story. The importance of storms was apparently in some interview where it's just they're they're given interviews based on the book, not on the season they filmed. I don't think they understand. Like that's why we're here. That's why we are feeling the way we're feeling because we read the books and because we're fans of the books. And I think we, in a way, are sort of a reflection and probably a calmer reflection of what fans are going to be like. We are the calm side. Okay, we're trying to be analytical about what didn't work. I don't know if the internet is going to afford them this level of analysis about what didn't work. And they're just going to be like, this sucks. Oh, no. The the internet is unforgiving and the fandom will make their emotions known with very little context. And it's just, it'll be raging for at least a month, maybe more. I mean, I will kind of enjoy it. I haven't enjoyed anything. Maybe I will enjoy the fan reaction. Not feeling alone um, will maybe make me feel better. It's like, I just feel like the fans and us were kind of lied to as to what to expect. And that part doesn't bother me in the sense that I understand what the business is. They lie. Like when a showrunner or an actor says so-and-so, I take everything they say with a big of salt because I understand their job is to sell a product, not to tell me the truth. But I feel like they might have taken this one a little too far. Again, pacing matters. And that's the part that like frustrates me is that Kate and Anthony have such different turmoil than Simon and Daphne. Like Anthony does not lie to Kate when he says this will not be a love match. Like at their engagement, he should have said that. And then that's when you're like, okay, what are their internal battles? Like they're not having the same arguments that Simon and Daphne are. We are not seeing this like, oh, I will not give you children lies. Like we're seeing transparency leading to both of them dealing with grief, dealing with their fears. It would have already been different. No one was going to say, oh, this is cliche. Not even the general audience. And if the general audience feels that way, eventually they're going to catch on. I had a feeling I was like, maybe after Reggae John Page left and there were a lot of fans really confused, like the general audience that did not realize it's an anthology series, that they were kind of like backing out from that anthology series. But why? They would catch on eventually. They would see eventually that this is what these are the stories. I'm sure most of these fans have picked up the books at this point. Like it's like they're backing out, but not backing out. That is the problem because if you'd backed out completely and been like, "We're not going to do an anthology," there was a moment at the beginning of the season where I thought, "Why are they? Why am I getting so much Colin and Penelope setup? Are we changing the stories? Like, are we doing them all at the same time? Is this not?" gonna like because it did feel like I was getting too much Colin and Penelope for the fact that they're not even next season but season four so there was a moment where I thought maybe they're backing out and then somehow they try to back out but not completely and then they left it in the exact same place so that season three is gonna be Benedict but then you already backed out in in the ways that matter so it makes no sense you cannot have your cake and eat it too just pick Elaine at this point just any lane, like a, we don't even care, just pick one and kindly stay there so we can stop getting whiplash. So my business hat is on right now. I think that they saw the reaction to uh, Simon backing out and they're like, we want to string this thing along. 
we want you to like care about and go through the entire eight episodes and not just completely like check out potentially when they get together so that they can have these actors on for later seasons so it's not as much of an anthology anymore because yeah fingers crossed based on like what this season was for kate anthony if we never see them again that is the most but like that's just, that's kate needs to come back too okay the my problem is i know they're gonna bring anthony back anthony is necessary yeah for a lot of things that happen afterwards uh, if nothing else, Eloise. Like, if nothing oh else. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right. So, but if they don't bring Kay back and we just have Anthony talking about his wife, that is also not going to no. work. Yeah. No. You need both of them. Yeah. Um, and no, you in have a way, to have in, in the same way, you probably should have had Simon if you'd been smart enough about contracts early on. And and I understand, I honestly, is is I'm sorry about this blasphemy, but like I didn't really miss Simon as much. I would have liked some moments of him just looking at Anthony being like <laughs> for real. Because that would have been funny. But overall, the thing about Simon is that he would have seen right through Anthony very quickly. And that did not work for the way they wrote the season. Yeah. They needed the people around Anthony to sort of be like Benedict, who still, you know, there's no not enough of an age difference there for Benedict to be like what Anthony is, if Anthony says it is this way it is. That's sort of the, their dynamic when they're, they're kidding with each other and they're, uh, he feels, Benedict and Colin feel confident in teasing Anthony, but not so much. Like there's a point where they both stop and this is big brother and he's the head of the family. Th- that, that's a point Daphne didn't stop in season two, which was good. That, yeah. that was a thing she did not sort of respect. But Simon would have never believed anything that Anthony was trying to sell, like from moment one. And then that would have made it like the way they wrote the season. And even the book requires no one confront Anthony about his feelings too soon. So even if you had the actor available, I don't think you could have brought Simon in too early because their prior relationship would have had him like, Anthony, come on. And then the, the part where Daphne, like, you caught me in the same position and you had me get married. And I, I caught you in that position. Now you're fine, right? You're not? You're going to marry the sister? Yeah, that wouldn't have happened if Simon had been there. No, not at all. All right, let's talk about Benedict. Benedict had the best arc for the season, hands down. It's not even fair how good of a season he had. And I think the benefit of Simon not being around is like Benedict was super comedic and he did notice different things about Kate. He never pushed it as far as Simon could have gone because he's his friend, but his speech about like poetry and what it means to like love a woman, various points he was making comments about Kate and making making the best facials all season. His drug trip was a highlight for me. I want whatever tea he's on. I, right. okay. I would have enjoyed the season so much more. Right. Exactly. Had that. My favorite scene of episode six, when Colin is hung over, he's like, here, the trick is you keep drinking. That way you never feel hung over. I'm like, Benedict, nothing wrong with you at all. If they are setting up us to care about Benedict for season three and enjoy his presence, well, they succeeded. 
he had like the best arc out of all of them for not having much going on. Like he goes to art school. He hooks up with the model working there. He finds out that his brother paid his way into art school and then he leaves, which it looks like, okay, I watched this the other night. Is he leaving London? It looks like he was packing up his lodgings too. Is he heading to my cottage? I thought it was just the art school. Like it looked like the studio, like he was packing up his things from the studio that he's leaving art like professionally. And then Sophie's going to. Right. His his love. Right. It's going to be about finding his passion again because they got nothing else. But I agree. I really enjoyed Benedict. I think he was sort of playing the younger brother to a T. Like in, and again, it, it feels like the, the age difference is not big enough for how much he was playing the younger brother. But he was like, I think he saw some things about Kate at some point. So he's like, I'm just going to drop a comment there and then I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Like an agent yeah. of chaos. Like, I'm going to do it. Where he's like, is there anything I need to know? Specifically? Yeah. And like, yes. Like, and then he was, when he was trying to say when Daphne was going to talk to Anthony, he was like, I, I want to know too. Yeah. Uh, I but he, know. Right. But he's never quite in the know, even though it feels at many points where he does see it. And he's just like, eh, well, I mean, kind of in a way, I almost felt like he was like, well, Anthony's going to make his mistakes. He's not going to listen to me anyway. So I'm just going to throw it out there. And Until just kill that final scene. Right. Yeah. When he sees the that scene, I really loved because it reminded me a lot of the duel when like Benedict is trying to talk and Anthony just like, nope, like we're not getting into emotions. Because when he's like, are you okay? Like, talk and like you just hear him say like calling his name. Anthony runs off. Like that was a scene where I was like, okay, Benedict is like he realizes now that like this is this is not a joking manner. And so I love that with him, that he can switch people. And so that's why I wonder, are we keep, is the mistress thing happening? God, please, no. Right. Because I, it's I, hard to imagine this Benedict being that. Right. Eh. Yeah. I think that was the moment, the moment you just mentioned was the moment where they sort of switch from Benedict seeing Anthony as the head of the family or as the, even though the, the age difference is quote, as sort of the, father figure that they all had to this is my brother that was a they they had a moment I think in the season they sort of went from the level of respect that you give to an older sibling that might have been like 10 years older and like sort of had to raise you even though the age difference is not there to sort of like no this is my brother and then that moment at the end I think was really good and as was the moment with Anthony when he's like you always see what people need. Mm-hmm. That was a really good moment for Anthony, like a good moment for them sort of seeing each other. It, it didn't end in anything because it, the season didn't need Benedict to sort of be like, oh, now that Anthony said that, I'm fine. There's no journey yeah. for me. Yeah. And they, what they needed was to set up the journey. But I, I think Benedict in general, like he had all the high points. He had the funny moments. He had the emotional moments. The moments with Eloise were when he's like he imposter the swing siblings oh my gosh and and they've been really good together and and it continues on in in that way I think he has always seen her better than than anyone else in the family but Anthony's right he's sort of been positioned as the one who sees more or less everyone better he just hasn't been the one 
seeing them and then putting that into action. Perhaps that's what his season is about. Perhaps he he's going to learn to, the things he's noticing, he's going to learn to do something with them. But he was noticing them because he was making the right faces. I noticed there was even a moment I thought he might have looked at Colin and Penelope like, maybe? Like he he seemed to be catching all the little uh, things and then yeah. like just not saying anything. He's an interesting one. I assume he's 26 just based on how old he would be in books because Colin is 21. They confirmed that. They did. But I can't remember if that means, is Colin younger then? Now, like, is this version of Colin younger than the Colin we know in the books? Right, he is. But there's not that big an age difference between them in the book. Because I felt like in the books, he was 20. If Benedict was 26, then he was 23. I thought he was only three years younger than Benedict. Yeah, I think so. I think that the age difference wasn't that big. Have to look at the Bridgerton family tree. You know, it doesn't matter anyway. Where is Francesca? She just... Dude, Franny knows. Franny knows when to leave. She's there for Paul Mall. She's not there for the wedding. Also, okay. For three episodes, and then she got kidnapped, and Anthony did not realize because he's the worst guardian ever, and I hope now that Kate and Anthony are married, Kate will will help him keep track of his siblings because he always keeps losing one. Yes, he does. Lizzie, I want to know if you picked up on this in episode three when Daphne comes with her son Francesca wants to like hold the child I sat there as I watched it the second time being like oh my gosh they're setting up the fact that like she has trouble getting pregnant like spoilers that's part of her storyline and it is devastating but it also makes for the best epilogue out of all the Bridgerton books 100% she 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 doesn't me. only want to hold the child. She, Eloise asks, like, if, if the baby has changed or something. Oh, my like, God, her like, comment. Like, yeah, like, why would I hold them? Has he changed since the last time I saw? And Francesca's face, like, make gifts of that face that she makes that are, like, the sass in that face. That is her best moment. She doesn't have many. But the yeah. way she looks at Eloise in that moment, like, I, she could, if looks could kill that would have been the end of Eloise. And then that's all we get. And then I, I, I really want to talk about Francesca. And like my friend Lyra who's watching with me at, at some point in the season was like, who is Francesca? And I was like, that one. It's like, oh, I thought she was a maid or like a friend or something. Right. Like <laughs> people forget that the general audience is going to forget that she exists. I don't understand how this makes sense. And then you see the interview where they ask, like, and she forgot when she was naming her kids, she forgot Francesca, the actress. Oh, I mean, my no, God. It's uh, like, so and so and so. It's like, oh, what? Did I miss one? Yeah, no well, one. Last season, at least they were like, oh, Francesca's coming back. You know, she's been with Aunt yeah. This time, it's just like, uh, where did she go at Aubrey Hall? Did she get lost? I know. No. <laughs> like, did they did leave her? Did they leave her at home? But also, she's going to come out next season, right? She's yeah. going to get married. If she doesn't come out next season and get married, the rest doesn't work. So, well, I mean. Is it a love triangle? So, who knows? Maybe John doesn't exist. It's just Michael. I don't know. No, they <laughs> have to have John around. Even even if John, if they don't even get married, for him to be like a love interest for her as she is out in society, like they can't not include him in some small form, you know? Which I do. 
<laughs> yes, I we are not sure anymore. No, nothing. But that is what Maybe. I'm looking forward to in season three. Like we have to have not just like Benedict and Sophie, which I'm super excited about. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait. But I'm also hesitant of like how they're going to handle it. Francesca is now coming out into society. Like she has had more interest in this than Eloise did this season. Mm-hmm. And like, this is the around the time that she meets John Sterling and we meet Michael and setting all of that up. Like we need those moments. But do we need, how much do we need of it? I'm really concerned about, like they've proven that they, they don't know how to handle some things. Like they also, like, I would like to see John. But what is the point where it's too much, John, that people can't move on to Michael? Mm-hmm. And what is, the, what is the point that it's too much, John, and then you kill him and people riot? Kids, yeah. I mean, those are good questions to ask. You're not supposed, John works because you got like two chapters of him. You don't have time to fall in love with him. He's him. And then you're just mourning him. Like, I'm afraid that if they drag, the courtship aspect with John, there'll come a point where people will be like, uh-uh, that's the one who I like him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, don't get rid of him. You know? Well, I'm, I'm nervous that there will be general audience members that are like, we and Anthony should have ended up together. Oh, that's going to happen. You know, that there's going to be people that are going to look at that and go, that should have been endgame. And you're like, that's not in the books and it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't even matter that it's not in the book. The, the show, I don't think it's even going that way. Not that doesn't mean that No, people, it doesn't. But fans shipped Anthony and Sienna. So anything is possible. There's going to be people for sure. Because, I mean, uh, there's people who love everything. Right. But I just even the the show doesn't really want you to go there, even with all its mistakes that we've discussed extensively. Even the show doesn't want you to go there. But yeah, I just I think since they threw the book out the window, it feels to me that they threw all the other books out the window. And now we're like, okay, is that what you wanted for us to be like? Yeah, we don't know what's coming. Yes. And then watch every book is like every other season is perfectly aligned with the book. Right now. That, that, would be, that would create so much rage within the fandom though for oh, all God. the ships that were short like Cantonese fans will like lose their minds if like Benny is like perfect you know which yeah. I don't think it will be by any means but like if other couples get more of their book adaptations more correctly it's just going to create more fandom it's drama. It is. Right. It's going to be heartbreaking for all of us. Because, like, we want to see these stories told well. Even if Kate and Anthony aren't your favorite couple, you still want to see their story done correctly. So it gives you hope that your favorite couple gets that same type of treatment. And if you see that, like, disconnect season to season, that's not going to build confidence for your audience to, like, keep up and care when Francesca is finding new love with Michael or who is the Sophie person coming along like there you need you need reasons to stick around and right now they haven't built that confidence but they have to like I keep thinking there's no way like they have to bring Kate and Anthony back and give us more they have to bring Kate and Anthony like if they they give us the moments that maybe we would have gotten between Daphne and Simon if that was possible like we didn't get the moments just because the actor wasn't available, didn't want to be available. But like maybe if 
they bring Kate and Anthony back at some point, I can't forgive them. But I also don't think there's any way all the other couples, save perhaps Colin and Penelope, can get their book. And even Colin and Penelope, at this point, how do you do the, the whistle down review? How do you, you know? do it? You don't. Because we now. basically left the wedding the same way she does the day of the reveal. So I'm just yeah. like, like, they went ahead and did that. Eloise knows, by the way, which is only a matter of time before the rest of the Bridgertons know. Right. Is I it going to be that Colin is the last person to know? Also, he's going to be so pissed off at her because of Marina. And it shows that he still cared about her this season. Six months have passed since the epilogue. Is no one wondering in the family why the best friends suddenly hate each other? Yeah. What is Eloise going to say? What equates to I am not speaking to my best friend? Like what kind of excuse is she going to do? Right. Unless unless Penelope is basically not speaking. Eloise is not speaking, but but like Penelope is also mad at Colin. It could be painted sort of as Penelope is not speaking to anyone. So it's since she's entered her villain era, like she's that that I think that sort of works best for what I am 150% sure her redemption has got to be something Benedict. And so yeah, yeah. like it, there's no way because if not, they would have used that in season two and instead gave the queen one line in the, in, in her way that is just all I can see when I see her. Like I'm trying to focus on her line and then the wig is like all I can see. I'm even worried about like Gregory and Lucinda at this point. I'm worried about everything. Yeah. Where is Gareth? Somewhere. Is he not visiting Lady Danbury anytime? Does he even exist? Who knows? I don't know. He's like, yeah, how old would he be at this point? Like, I mean, yeah. 13, 14? Around. <laughs> Who knows? Older because he's like five or six years older than her. Like maybe 16 if she's 10, 11. I mean, yeah, nothing makes sense, but we don't know what's coming. Nope. People who have read eight books don't know what's coming. Multiple times, by the way, I've read the books multiple times, and I don't know what's coming. I can start reading a sentence, and then I know exactly what's going to follow. Like, I don't even have to read it. I just know. Unlike here, where we are now left in an open ocean of possibilities of what could unfold this upcoming season. To wrap things up, I just want to give y'all a chance for your final thoughts. Is there anything that like we haven't discussed yet that you want to make sure you throw out here? What are your thoughts going into season three? Do you even have like a dream cast pick for Sophie Beckett? Because she's already out there. It could be an unknown person. It could be a well-known person. If you have it, I'd love to hear it. So Lizzie, let's start with you. Final thoughts. I keep thinking about the Dreamcast and I don't, but I really hope season three gives us the sisterly relationship we did not get in season two because Sophie also has a sister, not real blood sister, but a sister. And that ends up being super important in her story and then in continues to appear and like we see her in the epilogue and whatever. And I kind of hope they pay me back for what they didn't give me with Kate and Edwina. But in general, I just, I would like, I think we, we discussed this. I, I, if I ever watch the season again, I would like a super cut 
of the Kate and Anthony scenes. And then I can have a different supercut of the Bridgerton family scenes. And I will watch those on a loop. And then I will cut through the middle everything that is the Featherington's Sans Penelope. Penelope can stay, the family can't. And then everything that has to do with the love triangle. Sadly, Edwina probably will not appear in the supercut. She did not have that many good moments. And in that sense, I kind of hope they bring her back it's not if they're going to give her, like, again, these are the things that happen when you do an anthology. Like, I would like them to tie up these loose ends in season three, but I also wouldn't want them to spend too much time tying up the loose ends from season two and season three in a way that in season three, I'm like, what is with, with the main love story? Oh, you're still telling season two? So it, it's a fine balance that I right now don't trust them to be able to do. So... I think all in all, season two was a disappointment 100% because of the writing. I think the actors, the cast is perfect. I think the chemistry between Johnny and Simone is perfect. They are the characters. They could have done so much if they'd been given a better script. And, And we know that because in the first three episodes and a little bit in the last two, they sort of showed us what it could have been if they didn't have to carry the baggage of bad storytelling. So I think it, it just, it, it makes me sad because I really love the book. It makes me sad that this is what we got. There are ways to sort of make it better in the future. Next season, I'm not going to trust them. I mean, I might, I never do this, but I watch the end of last season before I watch the beginning. Like I might be like, look, I don't know. I just need to be sure. So I, I think I don't I won't trust them in season three. And if they do that well, I still won't trust them in season four. And maybe if we get to seven, at some point they can regain my trust. But right now, I don't know. Like every thought, same same. I just it's sad. I'm sad about it. Like I'm not even angry. I'm sad because this is not the show that I wanted to write such critical pieces for. It's not the show. But here we are. And it's it's heartbreaking. But everything like this cast was perfect. What they could have done is just is beyond me. They could have done so much, but it's sad. For fan casting, only because of that one picture of Gemma Chan and Simone Ashley. Oh. I, I want Gemma Chan. Yeah, it, it's not happening. But that one picture gives me a little bit of excitement, <laughs> where I could pretend. Like, I will take a spin-off of the Bridgerton women. The Bridgerton Wives Club, please. <laughs> just right. It's like, you know, like, that's why we read fanfic, that you always want a little bit more of the things you like. And there are a couple of scenes in the books, and I might have spiraled yesterday because the day before I read, I was looking for one scene so I could prepare for this podcast on, on book two. And I ended up reading most of book two. And then I was like, I'm going to check one thing in book three. So I read more. I went to bed at three in the morning yesterday because I got to Francesca's book. And oh I read all of the books. And I was like, I'm just going to check one thing. And that lies. I lies. And I've read the You book can't before. open this book without finishing it. any of them. It's just yeah. like, well, now I'm here. I'm okay. done Apparently, I stopped after six, so I feel, I mean, at least I didn't read the last two again, which I will at some point, just not now. But yeah, there there were some moments between Kate and Sophie and then Eloise there that I felt, ooh, if we'd gotten so much more of them together. I just say that 
scene of Eloise and Kate getting along was so perfect. And the fact that we didn't get, please come collect your husband. Why is he back home? Devastates me. Like that is one of my favorite scenes in the book because it's just gold. Like Eloise is just up at 4am, right? Kate saying, please come get this man. Right? And then we didn't get enough of Colin, like the setup, like rereading the books reminds me of Colin being yeah. the matchmaker and everything. Like Colin is literally like, now you see me in the books. He just, all he does is uh, uh, throw her wicket to where Anthony's is. That's it. That's the only little glimmer of book Colin we get. But and then Colin, the thing is, Colin does it in every book. He yep. is a matchmaker in every book. He's a matchmaker up to Francesca's book. He Gosh. really is a matchmaker. He's like, kiss, please, kiss. It's like, well, you love her. I, I'm not, not saying who, but like that, that's who he is. And then if they bring that back in like a couple of books, I'll be like, but why are you doing it for this sibling and not the other? No. Oh. Yeah. In the words of Raymond Holt, everything is garbage. I never <laughs> love anything. That's it. That's like the, I could hear him in my head when I finished the season. <sighs> yeah, I'm with y'all. At this point, it's really hard to trust what the story they're telling based on what they have done with arguably the most popular couple in the Bridgerton series, you know, and if they're doing that and expecting fans to be on board with what they're doing, it does give me pause for my favorite couples are coming up. Like I love Benedict and Sophie and Colin and Penelope the most. Like I really cared about what they did with Kate and Anthony and I really enjoyed their book, but like, I need to know they're going to be okay. And right now I don't feel that way. And if if you're trying to like backpedal and add these like book elements to it, or you're trying to tie up loose ends too much from a previous season when we should be putting focus on this new couple, that's the whole issue that we had with this season of cutting away from the main storyline to care about the Featheringtons and Cousin Jack when we need these small little intimate moments that like making the couple get together worthwhile, you know, I know that their casting department is great because I also agree with y'all. I think the cast is phenomenal. And if they had a better script, like they really could have shined even more like Simone Ashley is Kate Sheffield or Kate Sharma. I apologize. The Sheffields being thrown into the mix, like really threw me off. I was like, yeah, they're both here. Oh, and I'm, I'm actually kind of convinced I think we'll see the Sheffields again. Honestly, I, if they're in London, you know, I have a feeling like if Kate and Anthony are still have more of a significant storyline in upcoming seasons, we could see them come back up, which. Uh, Why Sheffield- is Giles only bad now? Hmm? Like my childhood requires this actor, Anthony Stewart. Why is he only evil now? Yeah. I don't, I, my childhood is complaining between Ted Lasso and this. That was I all know. I could think. The Sheffields did not even register for me because I was like, why are you evil? What would Buffy say? Yeah. Everything I, hurts. Everything hurts. 
The only thing that I have as like a fan casting for Sophie Beckett right now, I love the idea of, which I think she's a little too big to do this, but hear me out, Jenna Ortega, who was just in the new Scream movie. I think she's fantastic. Lana Condor, I just want more for her. And I think the height difference in particular would be impeccable. And then I saw this recently and you see me, I want to know what you think about this. Inez Gaffa herself, Amita Suman, I could see her. I can't do it. <laughs> she, she I can't just, do it. She's Inez. I know. I, I mean, her I just, so I don't cool. think she no. has the time. No, no. She That's has true. That's true. I could picture her for Lucy though, Ooh. because it's going to be so much later that okay. I could have potentially done Lucy but I feel like Sophie I can't it's too soon to see her like simultaneously even if like by some miracle she had time yeah like I don't want to see her simultaneously as an edge and It'd Sophie. Be too much. like it would be jarring if it was over yes but simultaneously it would be like that's fair I can you I can are not supposed that. to do this with any man other than Kaz Brecker what's happening <laughs> I know for real that's so funny. I know I said I didn't want a Latina, but I actually really like Jenna when you said it. I mean, at this point, they could change it enough that it, it, if they do a cringy, it's going to be cringy no matter who they yeah. cast. Because they're probably going to cast a woman of color anyway. So it's probably going to, if they do it badly, it's going to be bad. If they cast. make her a governess, it's significantly less cringe. Right. Yes. Which I've read enough fanfic of Benedict and Sophie of her being a governess that like, they could do it and essentially yeah. they're making these seasons as inspirations from the books that they can just do that instead of making her basically a slave and making it more problematic than it already is ladies this was great this was cathartic this was needed to be able to just kind of get all of our thoughts emotions opinions out there and I know like the fandom is going to be looking to y'all, to your writings, to your reviews. And I think both of you just did such an eloquent job explaining the shortcomings of this season, the expectations of like what fans are looking for and the ways that they fell short, ways that they could have tweaked it to make it better that hopefully they the writers and the showrunners take those lessons to heart instead of diving so far in the opposite direction but who knows the gps was right there i don't know why we didn't just listen to it like i i said that in my advanced review like i made some weird connection to gps for the source material but it's true it's like it was it was right there i don't know where we went I don't even, yeah. My, my favorite phrase, like, again, in my advanced review is loosely inspired by the book. Yeah. Yes. The GPS was there. They may be lost, but I'm so glad I'm on the journey with both of y'all. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Where can the people find you? Lizzie, let's start with you. They can find me on Twitter at Lizzie Dad for Bridgerton mostly at Fangirlish and also at CBR, though there I only tell other people what to do mostly and not write that much. So yes, but I will be doing so much reviews, so many reviews for Fangirlish about Bridgerton that I wish 
we're all really, really happy and they're not. But at least I have a lot of words about what did it work. Keith, what about you? You can find me at Keith Lenny Sophia and then at Lady Geeks Pod at Marvelous Geeks. There's a lot. Same. Like I have so much planned and at least for my deep dives, I'm covering book material too. So that gives me a bit of like joy that I get to still talk about the source material, go from there. And I'm so excited to read your reviews, your deep dives, like everything you put out on Bridge of Time because both of you are just so eloquent. Links will be included in the bio. You can always follow me at Meredith Loftus on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Fangirl Forum Pod. Thank you so much for joining. I hope you have a fantastic day.